Last week we looked at the story of Elizabeth, a woman of courage. So often she's in the background, the focus tends to be on Zachariah because we have a lot more to, uh, to read about Zachariah. <clears throat> um, but we gave her her moment last week, we, we drew her out of the shadows, we brought her into the light, we kind of looked at her and reflected on her, her life and what we could learn from her. This week we have another of those characters who tends to seem to get overlooked at Christmas, the character Joseph. He actually has more airtime in school nativity plays, probably, than he does in anything else. Um, he, gets the, he gets to ask the innkeeper whether there's room at the inn. You don't actually find that in the Bible. You get him to talk to Mary to get on a donkey, and you don't, get, you don't find that in the, in the Bible either. So he gets more lines in the nativity than he actually gets probably in the Bible. But... But uh, he's such an important character, and we're going to take time this morning to have a little look at him, a man who obeyed. When you read the New Testament, uh, he often gets overlooked, as I said. And so when you find in Matthew's chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 2, for example, the wise men have arrived. They've come to see Mary and Joseph and the baby. Um, what Matthew records is this. They saw the child with his mother Mary. Poor old Joseph. Perhaps he was out shopping or something, I don't know. But um, anyway, it doesn't even get mentioned, bless his heart, um, in the background making the cup of tea or something for the, for the wise men as they turned up. So they saw the child and Mary. And that's the, often the reality is that for poor old Joseph, he can, gets missed and we, we don't take time to, to reflect on him. We first find Joseph appearing in Luke chapter 1. This is where Mary uh, has an angel visit her, angel Gabriel, and it says of Mary that she was pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. That's where he first appears in the story. And we don't read much more of Joseph now in the, in the account until uh, he appears in in, on his way to Bethlehem with Mary. And that nearly didn't happen. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 1 and read these verses together. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what, he, what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. As I was reading through the narrative and reading through Matthew and Luke, it's quite an interesting kind of little task if you want to do this homework at some point. Read through it and see if you can make sense of how the stories fit together because they're different perspectives on the story uh, give us insight as to what was going on. But three times in the narratives, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. I don't know what that says about Joseph and about his, what, he, what he ate before he went to bed. 
But he had a dream, and three times in the story, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. And each time there was a specific instruction for Joseph. And each time he obeyed. We just read the first of those. Joseph often gets a bit of a hard time here, doesn't he? Because we read the story and we see that he's, you know, he, he doesn't want to, yeah, have a, a wife who's pregnant. Nothing to do with him. It's like, mm, this is a bit awkward. Um, so I'll get rid of her. Move her quietly to the side. You know, our reading of it can be a bit negative towards Joseph. We can see the story and we think, okay, he's, yeah, he's, he's kind of running scared here. He, he wants out. And that's probably because you don't understand the first century divorce laws of, of Israel. And I'm not going to go into that here and now. But it's important to understand that what Joseph was going to do and what Joseph was, was planning to do was to release Mary from her marriage in a way which honoured her, which would preserve her dignity and give her the best possible opportunity to find someone else to care for her. He was doing it the right thing by Mary. He was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. It wasn't about him. This is about him doing the right thing for Mary and honouring her and releasing her. And there was a way through the, through the divorce laws that that could happen. And that's what Joseph was doing. It wasn't about him running away from his responsibilities or running away from what was going on. He wasn't afraid to take the rap himself, to take the, to take the, the comments and the, and the pointing the fingers. He was doing it in a way, as I say, which was going to plan to look after Mary. But that isn't God's plan. God has another plan for, for this situation. And so an angel of the Lord is dispatched to Joseph in the dream. And what did Joseph do when he woke up? When he woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. Now there are two further dreams that Joseph has where an angel of the Lord appears. And these come in, in, Luke, uh, in Matthew and in Luke. No, both in Matthew actually. Tell a lie. Matthew chapter 2. So what's happened here, the, the Magi have turned up, the Magi have arrived, they've, they've visited, and after, they, after they've left, this is what we find. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take this child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for this child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. That's the second occasion. The third occasion comes on a little bit later. They've gone to Egypt, and this is what happens. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. What did Joseph do on each of those occasions? There were three dreams. Did you... He obeyed. When did he obey? Immediately. When Joseph woke up, he did what he was commanded. So he got up in the middle of the night. <laughs> didn't, even, didn't even bother waiting until the morning. He got up in the middle of the night and took Mary and the child Jesus off to Egypt. Next morning, so he got up. And I was struck by that. When God speaks to us, when God says to us something, what do we do with it? If I 
think about myself. There's often times where I, you know, God says something, and, you know, I go, yeah, I've got to do something about that. And then you get home, and something happens, and you get distracted, and you forget. I know that some of you have been spoken to and challenged in recent weeks about some of the stuff I've shared, because you've told me that. Whether you've actually acted on it, I can't tell you. <laughs> How often do we sit in church and we, and we get challenged by what God says and we go, I need to do something about this. And then we leave church and on the way home something come, pops into our minds and we get distracted. And by the time we've got home, we've forgotten what we said we were going to do. There is something about acting upon it there and then. And that's why often we will say, if you need to be prayed for, you want someone to pray with you, don't wait. Say something there and then at the end of the service. Let's pray for you. Or at least say something and we'll arrange to pray with you. Because then you're at least committed to the process. But going, oh, I'll deal with that later. That's, that's not what happens, is it? The story of the parable of the sower. When Jesus talks about the, the sower sowing the seed. That's, that's addressed to disciples. That's addressed to the, the, the followers of Jesus. And the seed is sown. We receive it, but what happens? Only in one of four instances does the seed actually bear fruit because it's obeyed. In the others, it's choked. It's snatched away by the enemy. Other things crop up and, 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 and take it away. And isn't that, isn't that true for us? God speaks, God challenges us, we hear it, and then we go out and something distracts us. The cares of the world what we've got to do tomorrow, what we've got to do that afternoon, what happened, what we didn't do last week, whatever it might be, something comes into our minds and suddenly that moment is gone. The lesson from Joseph is when God speaks, let's act on it there and then. Let's make decisions, let's make choices, let's make commitments to one another. And it doesn't mean necessarily, like I said with the prayer stuff, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to wait and be prayed for at the end of a service, but at least make a commitment to say, can you come and pray with me? Can we make an appointment to pray? If God's saying something to you, tell somebody. Commit to that process. Commit to that accountability to say, God's been challenging me about this. Can you hold me to account to see, ask me if I've done it? Whatever that may be. When God speaks, do we take the opportunity to be obedient immediately? Or do you wait? Because if we wait, I guarantee you other things will crop up and that obedience will slip. Moving on in the story, in going to Luke's account. Um, so this is after the shepherds have appeared. So Luke doesn't record the visit of the wise men. So this, what we're reading now, happens between the birth of Jesus and the wise men coming after the shepherds have appeared. Okay. So at the end of the shepherds, as the shepherds have gone back to the fields, this is what we discover. Uh, Luke records, on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. Matthew, chapter 1, verse, eight, uh, eight, chapter one, verse 25 says, he called him Jesus. That's this as well. Okay. Going on, verse 22, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. 
See, as we read through the Gospels, as we read through the account of, of the birth of Jesus and his early childhood, his, his early years of his life, what we discover of Joseph is he was a man who obeyed God's law. Luke chapter 2, verse 39, at the end of that story, says this, When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law. Now we are those who are saved by grace. Praise God for that. Not by the law. But through Jesus, the law was not abolished, the law was fulfilled. And in so doing, he removed from us the burden of it, but we still want to obey it because that's God's law. We just still want to be obedient to it and to do everything that it asks of us. If you read through the Bible, there's lots in there about how we should live our lives, isn't there? <laughs> Unless I'm just missing something. It talks about how we should live at home. It talks about how we should be at work. It talks about how we should be in church. It talks about how we should use our money and our possessions. It talks about how we should use our gifts. It talks about our relationships. It talks about so many things. It addresses everything that we will go through, all the life that we experience. But it becomes quite easy for us to focus on the bits that we think are important to us. And we miss, actually, the truth of God's law. Yesterday, I was just reading this um, article. And this is what it says at the end. This is, it's focusing on the, sort of the gender discussion and debate at the moment. It says this, Many churches will not act if members engage in gossiping, lying, being greedy, uh, bullying, or being lazy and undisciplined. Even though these things are condemned in Scripture. However, any sexual sin is acted upon severely and immediately. You know, churches and Christians over the years have tended to give a high profile to sexual sin. And yet when you read scripture, greed, lying, pride, laziness, lack of generosity, they're all condemned. Why aren't we dealing with those issues? And we can't be obedient to God in one area but not the other areas. The challenge for us from the story of Joseph is to obey God's law in everything. Okay, we don't, we don't come to faith by obeying the law. We don't come to, into a relationship with God by doing what the Bible tells us to do in terms of how we live our lives. We come into faith and into that relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ alone. But we should still live our lives in obedience to God's law in everything that he asks us to do. And we can't pick and choose what that looks like. Joseph was a man who did everything required by the law. Everything that was asked of him, he followed that through and did what he was asked to do. Luke, in his account, then moves on to an, a story that happened when Jesus was a few years old. Um, and he went off to the temple. And some of you will know this story, so have a little read of it if you want to. But Luke chapter 2, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I just want to focus on these two sections, the beginning and the end of the section. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. There you go. 
What did Joseph do? Every year he did what was required of him by the law. Even here, he's, he's still following through that. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. And then we have this account where Jesus, this, you know, they're kind of coming home and Jesus is not with them. And, you know, they, find, they have to go back to Jerusalem and find him in the temple. But then at the end of that account, this is what we discover. Then he went down to Nazareth with them. And this is, this is Jesus they're talking about here. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. There's something in this, I think, about obedience and integrity. See, what we discover here of Joseph is that he didn't just tell Jesus what to do. He didn't just give words to what he did. He lived obedience. He modelled obedience. He modelled how it should be. And what Jesus saw in his father was somebody who modelled what it was to obey God, what it was to follow him. When you go back to the account, right in Matthew's account of, of this, this, this dream that he had about thinking he was going to divorce Mary, what he was trying to do was to, to act with integrity towards her, do the right thing by her. It was not about him preserving his own agenda, his own self-belief or who, what people thought of him. It, he was trying to do the right thing by her. He was a man of, of true integrity. And throughout the story, whenever we come across Joseph, he was somebody who was doing what he was doing, leading the way. He was trying to be the best husband, the best father he could be. He tried to do the right things, lived out his actions. It can be quite easy for us to say the right things without actually backing it up with how we live our lives. We can talk about obedience. We can talk about obeying God. We can talk about God's law and all it means. But are we actually doing it? Or are we just talking about it? What about when we go home or we leave this place? Are we somebody, like, like, unlike Joseph, Joseph was somebody who was probably the same at home as he was out. He was the same at home. He was, the same, he was trying to be the best father he could be in terms of his integrity at home as when he was seen in public. But how many Christians, and myself, I speak to myself in this, how often do I live a separate life and what I do publicly is not how I am at home? And only you can answer that for yourselves. Are you the same when people are watching as when people are not watching? See, Joseph here models for us what it means to be obedient with integrity to live out our faith when people are watching and when people are not. We don't read much more of Joseph. That's it. The end of Luke chapter 2, we don't find Joseph mentioned again. It's generally believed that he died in those years between that when Jesus was 12 and when Jesus was 30 and started his ministry generally accepted that by the time Jesus started his ministry at 30, Joseph had passed away. 
it would seem that that's probably fairly true because Mary was mentioned when Jesus started his ministry, but Joseph doesn't get uh, mentioned at all. But in these few verses that we have, in these opening chapters, this opening part of the story of Jesus' birth and early life, here we find a man who was obedient. He acted immediately. He didn't put off when God spoke to him. He didn't put it off to another day. When God spoke to him, he acted. And the challenge for us is, do we do the same? When God speaks to us and challenges us, and we know we've heard from God, do we do it there and then? Do we make a commitment to make it happen? Or do we just, oh, I'll do it another day? And you may be sat there now going, oh, three weeks ago, I, I said I was going to do that, and I haven't done it yet. <laughs> Five weeks ago, I was gonna, you know, last year, January, I said I was going to do this, and I haven't done anything of that. What is it? I don't know. What commitments have you made that you haven't followed through on? How do you help? How do you ask others to help you to be accountable to those decisions and those, that obedience? What does it mean to do it right here, right now? Not just put it off for another day. Because tomorrow never comes, as we know. Today is the day that counts. Today is the day that matters. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day where we have to make those choices and decisions. And so before we leave today, maybe you need to make a decision to put something in place, have a conversation, ask somebody, to hold you to account to do something that you need to do that God has spoken to you and challenged you about already. We also find Joseph that someone who's willing to be obedient to the whole law. Not that it saved him, but that's how he chose to live his life because he wanted to honour God. And do we all do we all obey all that is set out for us? Now we know we don't because we, we're fallen human beings, and we never none of us are perfect. But is our intention, do we strive with everything within us, with God's help, to live in obedience? In all of those other things we talked about, gossiping and lying and, and laziness and, and generosity and all those other things that the Bible addresses, do we, do we choose to put God first in all that and obey him in all of that? Do we live in obedience to God's instructions? And finally, is there integrity in our lives? He lived with integrity. He lived at home and modelled to Jesus and Jesus' siblings what it was to be a man of integrity, a man who put God first, a man who was willing to obey God in everything he could do. Do we live that same way? Is there consistency in our lives between what we say and what we do? Not just in church, not just with our Christian friends, but in the world. Is there consistency in our lives? Let's take a moment just to be quiet and to reflect on what God has been saying to us. And then we'll pray together.